Pierre Polyever paid the legal fees for the whistleblower who took down his rival's campaign. Trudeau has shuffled his cabinet with an eye to the next election. Canada to drop more than $3 billion to buy new aircraft for VIPs and the military. And India stops rice exports amid catastrophic weather that is damaging September's rice crops. Good morning. It's Wednesday, July 26th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. First, we start with news about Pierre Polyever. Now, this news was broken by Stephanie Lovitz at the Toronto Star. Usually, I can get around the Star's paywall pretty well. Folks, I can't pay for infinite news. I pay for local news and magazines, and sorry, Toronto Star, you aren't a national newspaper. But this time, it took me a hell of a time to try and do this. They are making their paywall faster and harder to get past, and so I couldn't do it. And I lost my library card, so I couldn't even get it on Press Reader. But this story does go back a while. So let's go back to July 2022 from Mora Forrest with Politico. Back in 2022, in July, Forrest reports that Deborah Jodoin worked for Patrick Brown's campaign when he was running to be leader of the Conservative Party. Jodoin was a regional organizer for the Brown campaign. She, quote, appears to have worked, unquote, for Kevin O'Leary, Maxime Bernier, Brian Jean out in Alberta for the Wild Rose Party, and Peter McKay, an extremely incoherent bunch of candidates, to be sure. Jodoin was told that she could be employed by a company as a consultant and then have the company pay her to volunteer with the campaign. By June, she had asked the Brown campaign to pay her expenses, and then she said, quote, a corporation paid me for my expenses, not the Brown campaign, unquote. Brown's campaign said that Jodoin had asked for a job with the campaign, but Brown had assumed that her volunteer work for campaign wasn't done on company time. Brown then offered to pay the company for her time. Fast forward to last Friday, Friday afternoon. While I cannot actually read the article, here's what we can read above the paywall. Quote, the whistleblower's allegation that Brown broke election law ultimately led him to being disqualified from the race last July. And this whistleblower's legal fees? Well, they seem to have been paid by the Pierre Polyever leadership campaign. Now, it's perplexing to me that no other news outlet in Canada has seemingly reported on this yet. And yes, I searched on both Bing and Google in case Google is blocking out Canadian news results. Doesn't that seem like kind of a big story that the current leader of the Conservative Party paid for the legal fees of someone who knocked out an important rival to him? How would have the results changed had Brown stayed in the leadership race? And why is no one else reporting on this? Why is it just the Toronto Star? And why, Toronto Star, do you lock news like this behind paywalls to make sure that average people can't read them, especially on national news? Anyway, I'll let you know if I see anything new on this, but it does seem to be the case that the Polyever campaign gambled on nobody caring, and here we are a year later, no one seems to care. By the way, recent polls as early as this morning show that the Conservatives are out ahead of the Liberals in Ontario and neck and neck in Atlantic Canada. Next, let's talk about the federal Liberals and a cabinet shuffle. Pretty big cabinet shuffle. I'm going to give you this information now, though 
Uh, the shuffle is happening at nine o'clock Eastern time. So if you want to see the names of people who have been promoted to cabinet for the first time, you can go check that out. CTV News' Rachel Aiello at 9 p.m. was reporting this. Here's what we knew as of last night. David Lametti, Minister of Justice, is out. He had taken over after Jody Wilson-Raybould, you might remember, left over disagreements with the PMO after various legal changes. So too out is Mona Fortier from the Treasury Board. Her big thing this past year was public sector bargaining and the largest strike in a generation in the public sector. Marco Mendicino, he's out as well, and he's been criticized how he's managed the transfer of serial killer Paul Bernardo. Omar Al-Gabra, a guy who was first elected in 2006 but waited a very long time for his first cabinet seat, he's out too. Al-Gabra's not seeking re-election. Joyce Murray, Helena Jacek, and Carolyn Bennett are all out as well and are all not running again. You see, this cabinet shuffle is setting the stage for the next federal election. It's likely happening in 2025, unless the NDP discovers some courage by the side of the road by accident, thinking that it's an empty pop can that they can get five cents for. Not running again? You're not useful. Therefore, you're out of cabinet. So who isn't leaving? Well, Christopher Freeland, of course, who is probably running far more of the show behind the scenes than anyone else within cabinet. Francois-Philippe Champagne is also not leaving. He's very important for being in Quebec and also because he hasn't made any big screw ups. Melanie Jolie in foreign affairs is not leaving and neither is Stephen Guilbeault, former environmental activist and now liberal climate flack. Do you hear how many of those are Quebecers? Champagne, Jolie, Guilbeault. It'll be interesting to see. Jean-Yves Duclos, I imagine, is not leaving either, but who knows if he'll stay as Minister of Health. And will someone like Joel Lightbound be promoted to the cabinet? Probably not, but a lot of people talk about Joel Lightbound as being a rising star in the political world of the liberals. Federal liberals? Provincial liberals? That's the question that a lot of people are asking. And... There are some head scratchers here. One is Anita Anant, who's being moved out of defense. The rumors are that Bill Blair is moving in. Yes, Bill Blair of the cracking heads during the G20 and of racist policing in Toronto fame. A reasonable pick, to be sure. Though I bet Anand is being moved around to prime her to eventually become Minister of Finance, as she has so far handled being Minister of Defense and Minister of Procurement very well. Reaction from Jagmeet Singh, who didn't put anything in his agreement to prop up the government to have NDP members in the government's cabinet, which would have been reasonable to ask for the near unconditional support of his party for the Liberals to hold government. He said this, quote, a shuffle to me is not going to undo the fact that this government has held seven years to respond to serious crises, Singh said, citing climate change, housing and inflation. So whether the government shuffles or not, it will not change the fact that they have had seven years to respond to these challenges. And what I hope to see is that Justin Trudeau starts taking these challenges seriously and starts responding with the urgency required, unquote. Jagmeet Singh, Singh, man, dude, you are literally propping him up to not do things, to not be urgent, to not change things. Gosh, I wouldn't want to have to keep walking the line that he keeps trying to walk, but it is completely incoherent. And I thought I'd add that from this CTV article because it made me laugh. This piece ends with meaningless fluff from a liberal strategist who says this, quote, so they mean business right away. They'll be working all summer to get their portfolios under their belts, thinking up the fresh new approaches to take to Canadians. Come election time, I think they'll be ready to go, unquote. Because it is in political journalism in Canada if you can't finish an article with a heaping pile of uncritical fluff. 
Next, of course, on the eve of a cabinet shuffle, what better time for Ottawa to tell the world that they plan to buy new airplanes? The feds have signed a contract worth $3.6 billion to secure five new Airbuses. They will replace planes that have been in operation since 1992. The planes are used to transport the Prime Minister, the Governor General, and other VIPs. And the Air Force uses them to refuel planes in the air and other transportation needs. The fleet is currently set to age out by 2027. The new fleet will have nine planes, five of which are used. The used planes were bought by a company from Kuwait, reports Sarah Ritchie from the Canadian press, though it doesn't mention what company. The fleet will be housed at bases in the east, the west, and the north, but the Department of Defense hasn't said where exactly yet. Military journalist and fleet watcher Stephen Watkins has said on Twitter that it's bizarre that journalists have not been mentioning that one of the current fleet, CC-150-15001, had an accident in October 2019 and was out of commission for 18 months. The accident occurred in a hangar and damaged the nose of the plane. And finally, to India. Last week, we talked tomatoes. This week, let's talk about rice. India has banned the export of non-Basmati rice due to fears that there will be a shortage due to crop issues. They're mainly worried about the upcoming monsoon season being erratic and damaging the next paddy crop. Heavy rains already in Punjab and Haryana have caused severe damage to paddy crops. India exports 40% of the global rice trade and sends its rice to 140 countries, reports Voice of America. Rice prices have risen by 11.5% in the past year and 3% in the past month alone. India has gone from exporting 22.5 million tons of rice to the world to 10 million tons. Last year, they banned wheat exports, and that ban is still in place. The rice ban excludes one type of rice that is mostly exported to Bangladesh and some African countries so that India can build more of its influence in both of these areas, reports VOA. Of the $650 million of rice that Canada imported last year, about $140 million came from India. Canadian news agencies' coverage has been focused on how people are panic-buying rice all over Canada as a result of the ban. Not enough of the coverage is focused on the climate chaos part of the story, as in why is there a rice ban in the first place. But folks, there you have it. $650 million per year is all that it would take for Canada to pay for all of the rice that we consume each year. That's not very much money, especially when you compare it to $3.6 billion on new VIP and military planes. How much would it cost for them to just contract something from Air Canada, I wonder? Hmm. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, July 26th. You're listening to this podcast at sandianora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and syndicated on campus radio stations all over the country. I'm Nora. I hope you have a great Wednesday and I'll talk to you tomorrow.